I'm not going to count that time that it took you guys to get your seats <laughs> against my timer, okay? <laughs> All right. Good morning, guys. How are we doing? Good. Good. All right. So uh, most of you probably know, but some of you may not. Uh, my name's Eli, and uh, I'm going to be bringing you guys the message today, which I am excited about. Um, because today we're going to be we're going to be talking about the topic of celebration. Okay, so uh, I have to be excited about it, right? Um, so we're doing this series uh, of, of knowing God and going through the Old Testament. Okay, and I, every time I've been up here, I've said this, but I'll say it again that it's it's just incredible to me how much every page of the Bible gives us uh, insight into who God is, and that we can know Him through His Word and we're in the book of Leviticus, which has kind of a, a reputation for maybe being less so. Like, it's just a lot of stuff that we're pretty detached from, like these sacrifices and these rituals. And, and it's hard uh, to see God's character in it, maybe a little bit. But I, I guess part of, part of my purpose up here today is to dispel that notion. Like, no, I'm telling you guys, in Leviticus, okay, we can see God's character. And... Be, and this is like usually the spot in the Bible where like people, they do their chronological Bibles, you know, their year-long thing, and they get to like Leviticus, and it's just where it just, they start running into that brick wall, and honestly, you just haven't gotten to the first 14 chapters of Numbers yet, like, <laughs> really, so, but there's good stuff here, and uh, so last week was Easter Sunday, we had uh, in just an awesome uh, worship service. We did the, uh, we had breakfast together, and then we did the Easter egg crack off, and uh, I, I don't think I've ever won a single match, and like every year it's just crack, crack, what the heck, and you know, as a competitive person that does bother me, uh, you know, I've, I've researched like on the internet, like how, how does this work, how, what are the strategies, um, I'm now in an Easter egg crack-off support group uh, just to help me with the turmoil. Seriously. It's, so, it's, it's just mind-boggling. Um, and then, so Joel, he talked about, he, was, uh, he got us started in Leviticus, and we really, we really landed on Leviticus 16 and the Day of Atonement. And what the Day of Atonement really represents, and that, is, it was a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Christ. And it was a day where... They, they all celebrated, and they'd make the sacrifice of, the, of the, the goat and then the scapegoat, and it would take their sins away. It would atone for the, whole, the sins of the entire nation. And it really was, uh, it, it, it was huge in the, the Jews and their worship uh, of God. And then, so Joel, he also got into Hebrews 10 a little bit, okay? And so, which I don't know if you guys... Well, if you were here last Sunday, you know what Hebrews 10 says. It talks about, it just gets really real. And it's like, look, the grace of God, and this is what you need to do to be in it, and it can go away. And, it, it, you know, so he, we kind of got the good cop, bad cop thing going on. He was, he, got, he was the bad cop last week. This week, I get to just be the good cop. I just get to encourage you. So, this, like, this is the easy part. This is, it makes my job easy. It takes the pressure off. Um, so today, uh, we're going we're gonna to fly over Leviticus a little bit. I'm just going to recap a few things, and then we're going to really zoom in on Leviticus 23 and 25 and uh, the, the laws 
the mandated festivals and celebrations. Now, the thing that I want you guys to come away with today, come away with anything, and it's actually, this is from Psalm 19, uh, 8. It's right, right from the Bible. It says, the law of the Lord is wonderful, and it brings happiness to the soul. I want you guys to really come away with that this morning as we look into the law of the Lord and the happiness that it can bring to your soul. Okay, so like I said, Leviticus, the first nine chapters, we're talking about its, its rituals. It's, it's basically the handbook for the priest and how to run things in the temple. And, you know, that's, that's where we can kind of start to lose our focus a little bit. And I, and I honestly think this is intentional on the behalf of the author and even God's purpose. Like, just when you start to get a little sleepy and a little like, uh, this isn't that important, it's like Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu, they are consumed by the fire of God because they didn't listen. They didn't listen to how to properly do the sacrifices. So it's like, we need to listen. Um, one of the things that Grayson mentioned a couple weeks ago in regards to the law, he was going through Exodus, um, is that the law also, kind of like Leviticus, gets kind of a, a, a bad rap as it's, it's not important, um, things like that. And so a lot, and some of that reasoning comes from this particular verse. And so we're going to read that, and we're going to talk about it briefly. So Galatians 3.10 um, says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Okay, so Paul uses this terminology that the curse of the law. Okay, and something that I want to point out here is that it is extremely different from the law is a curse. The law is a curse, and the curse of the law are two very different things. Um, and an example of that would be one, one of the ways that these kind of would seem to us like peculiar laws, uh, like the, it gets very in-depth with uh, like hygiene and quarantine and diet and all these things for the Israelites. It actually greatly benefited the Israelites. Uh, during the 14th century, when there was the bubonic plague or the Black Death, okay, something really astounding happened, and that's that the, the Jews were essentially completely untouched. Like, everyone around them is just, is, is dying, okay? And they, they were untouched. And what happened was, so this was, a, this was a blessing to them, right? But what happened was, is then the people who were, who were affected thought, huh, must be they're behind this. They're doing this. And so thousands of Jews were killed and were murdered. And so that would be a curse of the law. They were, they were so blessed, and then that was a negative thing that came from that. Okay, so it's completely different from, the, the law didn't curse, it wasn't the, the law's fault that they were persecuted and murdered. 
Okay, that was because of the evil that was in, in human hearts. And, you know, how gracious of, it, of, it, of God to give Israel laws. You guys, just think about this. We're talking a million people strong. They're, they're in the desert, right? They just, they just come out of Egypt, and they, they don't have food. They don't have water. They don't, well, they have something. They have a little bit with them, but not, like, enough to get them for a long time get them through for a long time. And they, they have one leader. So they got Moses. They got one guy. And they don't have laws or order or rules. And they're coming out of Egypt, which is a place where they, I mean, Egypt's moral compass, a little bit off. Uh, and they've been living there for hundreds of years. And they were just enslaved. And so they've seen just these terrible, like, they've seen evil run a society. Okay, and so that's their background as they head into the wilderness. Okay, and so if God wouldn't have given them some laws and some order, it, man, they, it could have been really, really, really bad. And some of these laws that we see in Leviticus is there's this, there's this thing known as uh, gleaning. It's where, for example, when, when the Israelites would harvest when it was harvest time and they'd harvest their fields, they were instructed to not like go back over and over their fields to get every last crop. Because, guys, you need to leave some for the poor and for the foreigner. So we, we can see, oh, okay, God cares about the poor. In Leviticus 5, it talks about sin offerings. So if you sin, you had to make an offering to the temple and you had to offer a lamb, one-year-old, unblemished. But if you couldn't afford that, you could offer two pigeons instead. And if you couldn't afford that, you could offer one-tenth of an ephah of flour, which in modern-day terms, a tenth of an ephah would be just a little bit more than one measuring cup of flour. And so if you couldn't afford, God made provisions. It's cool. Um, God, had, he had, like I kind of mentioned earlier, dietary laws and laws about uh, when people were sick and, or had skin disease and quarantine. And, and then he also had laws for rest. He had laws of rest. That's a part of the law, the Sabbath day. Let's talk about rest. That's right. Um, that's pretty cool that we see God. Like, that, that tells you something. All right? If we dig into this, that God commanded rest for his people. He obviously cares. Part of that is that he has to care about their well-being. And then when we start thinking that the law of God is not like applicable or that it's just silly, stupid, all these things, you know what happens is that we start to then make our own laws. And that, that's when things go south. That's when we have laws like I would say it's more about the moral, the, more, the, the little, the laws that we, that we guide our own lives by. You know, moral compromise is, is so easily justifiable. Like, for a few extra dollars, just, it's, it's all around us. And, and you can even think, you know, into your own life. And just those moments where you've just made a moral compromise. It might not have been the hugest deal. It might not have been anything with just like these monumental consequences, but it's still that thing that every once in a while you think about in the middle of the night. It's like, man, wish I would have done that differently. 
right? And then on a large scale, we have laws like that, you know, illicit drugs are legal and abortion's legal. And, and so we, we, when humans just, when we get left to just make our own laws, uh, we, we, can get, we just get imbalanced in our thinking when it's left up to us. And, that, and it's so important. That's why we need the law of God. So we're, we're going to uh, take a look here at um, Leviticus 23. We're going to read quite a bit of this chapter just to see, talk about some of these festivals. Okay, so Leviticus 23.1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Uh, and then we'll keep moving into the Passover festival in of unleavened bread. So we're in 23.4 now. It says, These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. And on the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Okay, so God's mandating uh, some sacrifices. He's mandating a few days of vacation, which is awesome. And he's mandating rest. And the thing, the Passover, right? We've talked about this in Exodus. The Passover was when Israelites, they, they sacrificed the lamb and they, and they put the blood on their doorposts and the angel of death came into Egypt and it, its, its mission was to kill the firstborn of every family except for those with the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And so he passed over the Israelites in that way. And as we've learned and as we'll talk about a little bit today, that that is also too, just like the Day of Atonement, it's just God giving this picture of, of what's coming, what's, what his plan really is. Come on. There we go. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And... You guys realize this, that Jesus actually died on the Passover, like the day of the Passover. The Jews were going to celebrate the Passover, and that's when Jesus was crucified. And Paul here, uh, having a very, uh, well, he grew up as a Jew, entrenched in that philosophy as a Pharisee. He recognizes, after meeting Jesus, that, yeah, Christ is the Passover lamb. And then there's this idea, too. We read a little bit about the, the festival of unleavened bread. Like, what, what is that? It's, it is kind of odd. Okay, unleavened bread, it means you take the yeast out. And when bread doesn't have yeast, it's, well, honestly, it's, it's not nearly as good. It, it, is, it loses, like, it's kind of its texture. It's like fluffiness. It's, I'm not quite sure how to explain it, but it's just, it's the thing that makes bread good. <laughs> and... Uh, and so yeast in the Bible is, is typically the sign of 
It's, it's you, and I'm not even 100% sure why, but it's typically used as like a sign for sin or impurity. And, that, and that's what Paul's mentioning in this passage. He says, don't you know a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? You've got to get rid of it. You've got to get it out. And what we know about Jesus, right, is that he had no impurity. He had no sin. He was unleavened. And remember when Jesus says, this is my body, the bread, this is my body. And they broke it at the Last Supper. Well, that was unleavened bread that they did. And then just another reference to the, the idea that this is sin or impurity is when Jesus told the disciples to be on their guard from the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it's funny because in the next verse, it's like, is, it, is he saying that because we don't have any bread? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, but that, so it does apply to us, even if it seems odd, unleavened bread. We don't talk about it that much. Okay, so Jesus corresponds, his life corresponds to these festivals, the Passover and the unleavened bread. That is the bread, the body of Jesus. And so, what ha- so how this works is you have the Passover and then the next seven days. So on the day of the Passover, the next seven days is, uh, is the festival of unleavened bread. Okay? And then what we have next is the offering the first fruits. Okay? And so this would take place in that week as well. So we kind of have a bunch of stuff jam-packed in this one week. Passover, unleavened bread, and then right there in the middle would be the offering of first fruits. So let's read about that in Leviticus 23. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land that I am going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day that you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defect. Together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah, of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring the offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Okay, so I wanted to kind of read through all that just to see all of the preparation, all of the, the things that go into this celebration, all, all these sacrifices that they have to make. It just, it shows the importance. And hopefully, you know, it's, it's for us, it's, we don't, we don't do a lot of these things like sacrifice the animals or the, and make these, bake these cakes and offer them to God. But, but hopefully we make these types of preparations and these types of sacrifices in our worship to God. Like sometimes we have to, you know, get out of bed like a little bit earlier than we want to to worship God or, you know, sacrifices like that. Um, and so what we find about uh, the first fruits from 1 Corinthians 15, 20 it says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And Jesus actually resurrected, on the, on the, if you go to the Jewish calendar, on the day, the first festival of first fruits is the day that Jesus was resurrected. Now, this concept of first fruits, um, it's when. Well, here, here's how I, you guys remember, like, your first job and your first paycheck? 
You guys remember that? And it, for most of us, that happened during the teen years when we kind of get that first job and that first paycheck. And can you imagine first job, first paycheck, and then you take that paycheck and you just, you just give the whole thing away? Mm. I, I'm just thinking about my teenage self, and it's like, no way. All right, like, no way. I'm, I have a death grip on that thing. And, but see, but it's an exercise for the heart. You see what has to happen in the heart to, to be willing to take the first fruits, the very first, and give them to God. And, that, and that's what he's commanding them. As soon as they enter into the land, the, the first things that they come across, they're to offer those to God. Okay, and then we're going to talk about the Festival of Weeks. It's good. This is, we get, it's, about to get, it's about to get real in the Festival of Weeks. Okay, so uh, now uh, we're in verse 15 of, of Leviticus 23. It says, From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Okay, and then we're going to skip to verse 21. It says, On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. And in that, that portion that we skipped is just, once again, detailed information about what they were to offer. Okay, so the festival of weeks is, it's, there's the Sabbath day and then seven full weeks. So seven full weeks is 49 days plus one Sabbath day is 50 days. Okay? And uh, what, what this festival was to celebrate was, well, 50 days after the, after the Exodus, okay, was the day that God gave Moses the law. When Moses went up Mount Sinai and met with God, and he came down from the mountain. That day. Do you guys remember what happened when Moses came down from the mountain? Okay, Grayson preached about it a couple weeks ago. The golden calf happened, right? Moses was up there, and they decided he's up there too long. They don't, they just, they made a golden calf, and they started worshiping it. And something else happened that day, too, that was bad. Wait a second, I should get my report. Okay, so Moses comes down from the mountain, and there's, they're, they're worshiping the calf, and this is the day that they got the law. And this also was known as Pentecost. If you guys remember in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, it's 50. Well, the Jews are coming together to, rep, to celebrate the Festival of Weeks, or Pentecost was another name for it. Okay, and you guys know, we... Most of us know what happened on the day of Pentecost, right? It's when the Holy Spirit came, right? And that's when the church started. That's where the Holy Spirit moved powerfully. And, and the law and the law of Moses was no longer uh, the law that, that, that Christians would be held by, but we would be under the law of grace. And so, um, something else that happened on that day that Moses came down from the mountain, is this. 
The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. So what Moses commanded was he commanded the Levites to take their sword and to go through the camp and to take out those who were worshiping false, false gods. Right, and you see, and this is like, this is one of those, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible and I read this type of thing, it, it, it always, uh, it, gets, it gets my gears going. It's like the questions, the wonderings, and, uh, but it's, I want to show you guys that this verse here actually shows so much about God's character, and a good side of God's character. So one thing about God, all right, it says, Lamentations 3.32, Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. So a couple things to note from this passage is that God does not willingly bring grief to anyone. So this, this, this what happened is not something that God was happy about. Okay, and, and it also, I don't know if you guys knew this, but it says he brings grief. It's talking about God. He brings grief. So God brings grief. I think that's actually really important in just a fundamental understanding of the world and having the right like viewpoint on life and expectations is that Grief and sorts of things like that aren't just always evil. Like they they are they come from the hand of God. Like and, and it also shows that evil is not outside of God's control. Like he he knows about it. And he he allowed it. For some reason, maybe we don't know. But he allowed it. So that that's really that's important. That's that's encouraging that God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. And then I love this. This is from the, the New Living Translation, this particular uh, Psalm. 56.8 says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Right? We see God, he, he, he cares. Like each, every one of your sorrows. He knows about every tear. I don't think it's literal, like God has a jar with a separate jar for each one of our tears. But he, he remembers every tear that falls. He's well aware. It's all recorded in his book. And God, he doesn't have to write it down. It's all in his mind. He remembers all of it. And I believe that it's these principles here which leads us to this. Day of Pentecost. Those Peter preaches, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. I think that's, that's not a coincidence. The same day, the day of Pentecost, the festival of weeks, thousands of years earlier, when 3,000 people fell because of false worship, God restores 3,000 people to eternal life. He remembers. He knows. You know, 
it's kind of funny that yeah, we haven't really t- we haven't even talked about celebration that much, have we? Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny that I'm up here talking about celebration, just these festivals and, and that that whole idea because um, that's not really like like my default wiring. Okay, I'm I'm definitely more of like the stoic type, like don't the stoic like kind of actually looks kind of grumpy a lot of times. Um, just being honest, I, I remember um, this is when I when I first moved to Eau Claire, and I remember talking to uh, Ian's son. She's my wife, but this was before we were dating or anything. I remember talking to her and in in sharing with her like that I didn't know how to have fun. It's just like I'm just gonna be real with you. Like everybody in the campus ministry wants to do these fun things, and I don't really see the need for it. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> I don't know how to have fun. I think it's stupid, <laughs> pretty much. Okay, and um, you know this was a because this was a result of, of my worldview. I I grew up, and and I guess the way that I would put it with just that productivity is the end all and the be all. Like in that, and I just that's what I learned growing up, and so I think that that was so productive. I want to. I do want to mention that productivity is obviously a, a good thing, right? But but everything uh, without without God's law, without God's help, is gets twisted. Okay. So I would do things like I just remember like, and this was when I in when I was in campus ministry back in, in my home state of Michigan, that. Like, I just remember, like, just kind of, like, judging some other, like, disciples, like, my brothers and sisters for, like, doing something like watching a movie. I'd be like, it's so, it's just wasting your life. Like, that's so stupid. And, like, but being really critical about it. And so just looking down on people for simple things like that, and, um, and it, it's obviously just wrong. And, uh, and so I do want to share a little bit about how God has been, has been changing me. Um, so I, I got married to Ian's son, and she happens to be a fun expert. <laughs> and that it drove me nuts at first. I was like, why don't you do something with your life? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, okay, so God, but God did this intentionally. I'm telling you that right now. God brought us together intentionally. Because I needed a little fun in my life. I needed a little, I needed to like loosen up a little bit. Oh my. And so I, I honestly think that it's so part of God. You know, it's funny that God is sanctifying me by, by helping me be a little looser, a little more fun. Right? Like, I don't know, that doesn't always cross our minds when we think about being more holy, sanctified. But a fruit of the Spirit is joy. And then, um, <clears throat> We had this discipling time with the uh, with the teen guys a few weeks ago. Gosh dang it! Um, <laughs> and we, we so we were looking at Romans twelve and we were talking about honoring one another and we so we just we just encouraged one another. We just shared about the like the positive things that we see in each other. <clears throat> and I was with uh, Carter, Will, and Kale and. Why, why is this? This shouldn't be hard to share. <laughs> it really shouldn't. Um, they all shared about 
They literally all said the same thing. They said, like, dude, it's so much fun to be at, to, to do the teen ministry, to, like, all the events that you put together. It's so much fun. And I know that's stupid, but it's, it's like, it's just God. Like, that never would have ever been said about me. Never, ever would have been said about me, okay, without God. And I, and I would be, I just mean, I have battled with depression and anxiety and, and, and thoughts of suicide. And like, just never would have happened. So amen for that. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap up here. Just, uh, just like two, three more minutes, I promise. The year of Jubilee, okay, this is where this culminates, the, these festivals, these celebrations. They culminate in what's known as the year of Jubilee, okay? Um, okay, so I'm, I'm just going to skip the reading, but this is what happens, okay? Every 50 years, so it's so cool that God commands every seven years they take a year off, okay? And, and they actually give the, they give the ground a year off too, which we know now in agricultural Practices is extremely smart. The ground can't just keep yielding, yielding, yielding year after year. You have to give it a break. And same with people. We don't just yield, 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 yield endlessly. We, we have to restore, renew. And so every seven years, they, give, they get a year off. They give the land a break. And then every, so you go seven Sabbaths, right? And the 50th year is the year of Jubilee. And that's where you get, so you get the 49th. Off and then you get the 50th year off too, back to back years of just rest. And I mean, I think it's supposed to be this once in a lifetime experience, right? You probably didn't have two years of Jubilee in your life during that time. And I, and I think it was it's supposed to be that way. It's like a taste of heaven. Um, and what, what, one of the main themes of Jubilee was freedom. It was like, look, if you sold, if you sold property, uh, it, was, it would come back to you at the year of Jubilee. Like, you'd sell it for its value. Like, if it was five years to the year of Jubilee, you'd sell it for five years' worth, not 50 years' worth. Um, and, like, if you, were, uh, if you were poor and you had become, like, an indentured servant to someone, you were freed. Like, every, it's just everybody's just freed, and it's the year of Jubilee. And it's awesome. And Jubilee is a, is a cool word. Like, you just know, I don't, honestly, Jubilee, who says that? But you just know it's a good word. And then if you see here on the screen in verse 21, we have, so in, in, in history, there was never, a, there's no evidence that Israel ever observed any of the Sabbath years or the year of Jubilee. Why? Why? Right? Don't, don't, this, don't you want to do this? Don't you want to have a year of jubilee? I do. Why wouldn't... I mean, God's telling them, like, you need to do this. This is a lasting ordinance for your generation and the generations to come. I, I think... I mean, th just think about, think about your life for a second. What would happen if you took a year off? What, what comes to mind? I... Without getting too deep into it, man, a lot of fears. Like, that is my worst fear, is being a lazy bum. If, if I had, like, and I, I don't, please, I, hopefully that didn't come out, like, wrong. Like, 
my worst fear, seriously, is if I were to have some sort of, some sort of like, you know, condition or something that prevented me from being able to be productive. I, I think I would take anything over that. And that, and that, so there's, there's just, there's a lot of things that, there's a lot of reasons why people might avoid resting like that. I mean, do you, do you avoid taking time away to res- restore and renew? Is there always an excuse? Is there always a reason why you can't? Here it is, guys. Verse 21. I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year. So, right, so we got, you got the year of the Sabbath, which is the seventh year, and then the next year is the year of Jubilee. So the year before that, I will send you such a blessing that the land will yield enough for three years. So not only will it yield enough for the next year and the next year, but the year after that just because. And that's the way God works. He provides. And so we have to trust him to provide for us. And so just, just practically, how, how can we implement this? How can we implement this, this principle of celebration? And just knowing that God wants us to rest. He wants us to celebrate. I think corporately, so as a group, when we come together to, for church, it's, it's just it's a mindset shift. It's, it's repentance is a changing of the mind, Right? We, we don't come to church because it's our religious obligation, our duty, because we have to. Let's get our minds to come here to celebrate. Because really, we are coming here to worship God. We're coming here to worship the, the Passover lamb, like just all the freedom that we have, the jubilee that we have. That's what we come here to do. So come, come to church with a mindset to celebrate. And, and I think individually... Our daily lives, our daily lives is when it, it, we can really lose that. We can lose the joy and the, just the daily grind, right? And I think this really comes down to having, you, having that resting place, having that sanctuary in your daily life, just in the Bible, in prayer. Maybe it's a certain location. Maybe it's going for a walk where you can, it's, that's why we have quiet times. That's why that's, it's, it's to rest, rejuvenate, to enjoy God, and then, be, and then to be filled up by him and then go and give. Not give when we don't have anything to give, but give from what God gives us. So just if, if you're not prioritizing that because, of, because you're busy, because you're, there's work, something else has to give, not the time with God. That, that cannot be what's sacrificed. And it might, you have to sacrifice something important, something meaningful. And, I guarantee, and God's going to, he's going to teach you, he's going to humble you through that. Just like I had to give up my twisted worldview, that fun is stupid. <laughs> that was hard for me to let go of, by the way. Um, so guys, what we're going to do now, I'm just going to say a prayer uh, for communion. And we're going to have, uh, while we're doing communion, um, Brad and, and Megan are going to play a, a song. I can't remember the name. So they're going to do a special song. Okay, um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I, I pray that we would just take this time to, to commune with you and to 
live to, to stand, God, in that joy. Like, sometimes the cross, it's really, it's really sad. It's really, it's really hard. It's really, it's convicting, God. But there is such a joy that comes from it, God. Uh, Jesus even went to the cross for the joy set before him, God. And, and that was because he knew he knew the fruits of what he was doing, that he was going to be able to enjoy fellowship with each one of us. That's how important that we are to you, God, that you went to those lengths. And so I pray that we would just meditate on um, Jesus and his sacrifice during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.